At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. the cryptid keeper podcast the podcast for cryptids and their keepers that's us and if you're listening it's you too i'm alex flanagan and i'm addison peacock and we are coming back at you today with part two of our halloween listener stories spooktacular although we are technically recording this on all saints day but still (laughs) yes and the the saints are all cryptids all of them (laughs) When the saint cryptids go marching in, um, we're doing some kind of blasphemy right now. I haven't been to church uh, in a very long time. <laughs> right. It's several different kinds, I think. Oh, man. But regardless, if you're Alex, it's already Christmas. If you're me, the Halloween spirit lives in you all year long. So <laughs> I think it's only fair that we do part two, even though it's no longer October. It was my idea. I know. <laughs> you say this as if I'm doing some sort of seasonal crime and, like, like robbing you of the chance to celebrate Halloween, but this was my concept. No one's talking about the war on Halloween. We need to talk about the war on Halloween. <laughs> oh, my God. We can't say Halloween in this country anymore. Yeah, why won't they let us say Halloween? <laughs> they all want us to say Happy Harvest Time. I'm sick and tired of it. <laughs> PC culture has gone too far. Oh my god. Alright, I'm done. Oh goodness gracious me. And this is my second Halloween costume, Megan Kelly. No, Ooh, oh, Just kidding, I that's too scary. Okay. Too scary for us. This is a family friendly podcast. <laughs> okay. And that's oh, man. that's the last time probably I'll get political today. But it super isn't. Whenever this energy comes up, it keeps yeah. coming back. Up. All art is inherently political. If you think art is apolitical, it's just because it reinforces your beliefs. Okay. Oh damn. All right. Yeah. Speak truth to power, sister. Okay. So anyway, we're gonna do some <laughs> listener stories. We are, and this episode, like uh, the other October episodes that you've recently listened to, is brought to you by the Alexandria Archives. Darn so right, it is. Go check them out on the web. Um, it was supposed to just be for the month of October, but I forgot to put it in our first episode, so they get a November freebie. So uh, this isn't seasonal, but I, you know, there's never a bad time to go enjoy some cool audio fiction. Podcasts are fun all year round. And you know what? The great thing about podcasts is you might not even be listening to this the day we release it. It might take you till next October to get around to it. So, like, the time is right. Yeah, actually... That's very true. It might not be when we think it is that you're hearing this. It could be... Time isn't real. It wasn't real when we recorded it, and it's still not real when you're listening to it. It could be a hundred years from now, and you found this buried in some archives somewhere. We might be in a time capsule in, like, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, so, you know. You never know. I kind of hope not, but... (laughs) That would be a frankly wild choice. (laughs) I don't think we belong there, but... Um, I have some questions and concerns about whoever was on that sort of curation committee. And then you cut to the future and it's you. Okay. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) But speaking of curated content, 
I have some more listener stories for us. Yeah, I love it. I love these episodes. I know all of you love these episodes, or at least a lot of you love these episodes. There's probably like a few of you out there who are shaking your fists at your podcast player at this point in time. In which like, case, why are you listening to this episode? It said listener stories right there on it. <laughs> they just wanted to make sure. But, I uh, thought this time would be different. <laughs> it's uh, it's just, you know, it's like people watching Titanic hoping maybe the boat won't sink this time. But it's like me every single time I watch uh, season one, episode four of The Great British Baking Show. Oh, no. And you I hope. hope it will end differently. You hope that maybe this time. Yeah. Bingate. Anyway. Bingate was awful. I know. I know. <laughs> sorry. I know. Sorry. I'm, I'm in this place because we just talked about it on our last episode of Great Bakes Hot Takes, and it was I know, because I listened to it. Oh, <laughs> okay. thanks, buddy. You're welcome. Giving you those clicks. So. Appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, so I apologize because we probably still won't get to everybody's today, but we just had so many excellent submissions, and I had to end up trying to sort of prioritize ones that, like, had something different about them as opposed to ones that were just sort of reinforcing things we already knew about our cool, fun, mysterious friends. But, Mm -hmm. you know... uh, some of these may make it into future episodes, so hope springs eternal. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, like they have been seen, they have been yeah. read. You have, you are, you have been seen. Your story has been heard. It's a very good problem to have. Honestly, I'm actually so thrilled that we have reached oh, a point really where we have too many. Because I yeah, remember the seriously. first, the first time we did one of those, I was terrified we wouldn't get enough to fill an episode. Mm-hmm. And, and here so we are. Yeah, it's it's very cool to be at this point. I am sorry if yours doesn't make it in, but just know that it has been it has been seen and could be in a future episode. So thank you to everyone who shared your stories. I'm very excited to get going on this. All right. So I think I set this up correctly, but I uh I think I set it up so that you're supposed to start. Okay. <laughs> so you go ahead and read this one, and I think it'll work out so that we get to the right ones that are like relevant to our Anyway, I have, like, a very complicated algorithm I use for this. Is your algorithm because just going eeny, meeny, miny, moe? Right. No, my algorithm is, like, looking for smooth transitions between stories and then trying to alternate them in such a way that when we trade off stories, we'll end up with, like, ones that we have insightful commentary to offer on based on which ones we're narrating. And then also making sure that, like, there's sort of a loose thematic, you know, correlation from one story to the next. Anyway. All right. Go on. All right. Okay, so this comes from Avery. Thank you, Avery. Uh, This pertains to ghosts, specifically Genevieve and the Lavender Lady. Very exciting. Which sounds to me like the great title for like a spooky YA book or something. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like, I was was thinking it sounded like like an old-timey, like Victorian lesbian romance. Um, <laughs> this is like definitely slang, right? Like the lavender lady for sure means that. Like a lavender lady is for sh- like please no one write and tell me that it's not. Lavender lady is old timey is old timey slang for like lesbians. Like please don't t- like don't take that from me. Okay. So here we go. My grandma's always believed in ghosts. There are times I've remembered her waking me up in the middle of the night because she had mistaken passing car lights for apparitions. Grandma! Um, I didn't know where her fascination for ghosts came from. It wasn't until I was talking to my dad after one of our Saturday night binges of ghost adventures that he told me about the Lavender Lady. My grandma had moved into a house back in the 80s. The previous owner of the house loved lavender. She had bush after bush of lavender in her front yard. The lady had died in the house. She was old, and it was just her time to go. One night, my grandmother had gotten in a fight with my grandfather, and she stormed off to their room, and she sat on her bed. Then out of the corner of her eye, she noticed the closet door open. Being the crazy woman she is, she walked into the closet. (laughs) 
Respect your grandmother. The closet door closed, and she sat on the trunk they kept in there. She talked about the fight they had, and once she was done, the closet door opened. She realized later that the closet had a weird smell. Lavender. That's actually super lovely. There's a second story that I'll share in a second. But I want to quickly say that, like, this ghost welcomed your grandma into, like, a safe space to vent, gave her some aromatherapy, and then sent her on her way. It was honestly so nice. The lavender lady might have been in love with your grandma. That's, like, really sweet little story. Um, Okay. My story isn't related to my grandmother's, but it's just as eerie. My sister and I study for finals in our basement because we're up late and can be noisy. It was about 2.30 a.m. and we put our stuff away to go to sleep. I couldn't fall asleep for some reason. I rolled over on the couch and closed my eyes and tried to fall asleep. I was almost asleep when it felt like someone was pulling on my hair. It wasn't hard, like someone brushing the hair out of your face or something. I shot up and grabbed my phone. I turned on my flashlight and looked around. My sister was asleep, facing the opposite direction. She hadn't moved the entire time. Since then, I've seen shadows running around my house, my pills get knocked onto the floor, most nights it feels like someone sits on my bed. Stuff happens in school, too. One day, a couple friends and I made a makeshift Ouija board, and then they already knew what I was going to say because they wrote in parentheses, bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I think this (laughs) spirit came through. They had answered several questions about the time, location, and place correctly. We asked the spirit how they died. The words murder bridge and moved came through i looked up to see if there were any murders like that in the area about three miles away two hikers had come across the dismembered body of a young woman by a bridge in the woods the pieces kind of fell into place the genevieve part has no real meaning one day i was wondering what to call her and it sounded like someone whispered that in my ear so i've always stuck with that oh boy i like that neither of these spirits seem to be in any way malicious they're just kind of no I'm also very into the idea of just, like, sort of asking ghosts for their name. (laughs) Yeah, I actually do appreciate that. It's very respectful, and I'm glad you did that. It's very nice. It also, Genevieve's behavior reminds me very much of when I lived in... I never had any personal encounters with her, but when I lived in a haunted dorm my uh, sophomore year, I lived in a a building. I've talked about it before. I lived in a building called Blackstock Hall, and it used to be a funeral home and was converted uh, into... eventually converted into apartments and then converted into dorms. Um, and it was haunted mm-hmm. by, supposedly haunted by two entities, one downstairs that was pretty malicious called the butler and one upstairs that was pretty chill called Carol. And like, this was pretty much Carol's MO too. She would just kind of like people like who had stuff happen with Carol was just like, would see like shadows, things would move around, like stuff would get knocked over, lights would flicker, doors would shut. Carol didn't really mess with people. Mm-hmm. She just kind of did stuff <laughs> like it's like the <laughs> least frightening kind of haunting. It's still a little spooky, but it's not like malicious it's just like here for a good time and a long it got time to the point where carol became essentially a meme like i remember the year after i lived in there the like ra made everybody who lived there shirts that said like keep calm and blame carol because when something got, went missing or like something happened people would just be like carol um but anyway and how do you think carol felt about that oh, i'm sure it made her feel terrible it's not very nice probably i can't believe you'd bully a ghost no i did not bully carol i was not part of that mm-hmm This turned into another time where I slipped one of my stories in, but I didn't have any personal encounters with Carol. I was just adjacent to her. (laughs) Maybe the real listener's story was the friends we made along the... Anyway. All right. So that was Avery's. That was really cool. I love those stories. Just classic ghosties. It's a really neat one. Our next story is from Kyle, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, Now, just as a warning to you, Addison, there are two stories that don't show up on the sidebar, so just make sure you like scroll down instead of just clicking on the next name or whatever. Cool. That's what I'm doing right now. 
Cool. But yeah, so this one comes to us from Kyle. And the cryptid in this story is presumably some sort of ghoul, although it's really not clear in the story. That was just like the best guess. This is exciting. I really enjoy specifically like the tone of this story, which is one of the main reasons I picked it. Like it's a cool encounter, but like the telling of it is very good. So kudos, Kyle. All right. I'm excited. When I was a kid, I don't remember exactly when, but I can't have been much older than 10. I lived in a cluster of neighborhoods that were very kid-friendly in that, when the weather permitted, children were almost always outside unsupervised. If I ever wanted to get anywhere, like a friend's house or something, I would usually just walk there on my own, because, you know, why not? One day, while walking somewhere, I don't remember where, I turned a corner and saw to my left across the street probably the most instantly frightening thing that I've ever encountered outside of a dream. There was a person, I guessed them to be male but couldn't commit to that assessment, sitting on their knees in the middle of someone's driveway, staring back at me while holding something in their cupped hands in front of them as if they had just been drinking from or eating whatever it was. What really freaked me out was the fact that this person was sheet white except for a bright red mouth. I can't remember many other details, but I think I remember that they were dressed in dark clothing, had short black hair, and were fairly thin, maybe even to the point of being gaunt. I don't know exactly which part of this gave me the full-on get-the-heck-out-of-there alert from my lizard brain, but whether or not this was actually what I saw, what I perceived in the moment was that this person was kneeling down on the pavement, eating some kind of small animal, (sighs) and that the red I saw around their mouth was blood. This was probably the only time in my waking life that I've literally experienced that sort of cliché sensation that people talk about of your blood running cold. To really illustrate where my priorities were at the time, I distinctly remember my first thought after run away being, well, if this is just a really pale person and you're being crazy, it would be super rude to just sprint off as soon as you saw them. (laughs) So my absurd in-the-moment solution was to pretend that I had been jogging, had just slowed down to a walk for a bit, and that it just so happened that I was about to start jogging again as I rounded the corner. Okay, literally, oh God. literally listen to me, Kyle. I have done this exact thing so many times. Not to get away from ghouls, but like that thought process, I have been there. Thank you for articulating it. That is so funny. I'm sorry. I've, I'm Because I get it. I feel you. I'm with you, Kyle. <laughs> Here we go. So already having a street width distance on them and with no indication that they were going to pursue, I fake calmly jogged away until I was out of sight and then sprinted the rest of the way to wherever I was going. So I guess that's the story of how 10-year-old me would probably be too polite to survive a horror movie. <laughs> oh my god. On its own, I don't think I ever really considered this experience paranormal, outside of the ghost-slash-zombie-slash-daytime-vampire explanations that my brain can't help but throw out there. And I'm a pretty huge scully. I know that memory is super fallible, especially old memories from when you were a kid. And I ultimately probably couldn't swear under oath that the person was actually full-on liquid whiteout color, or that their mouth was as red as I remember, or that it wasn't just lipstick, or that what they were really holding anything in their hands at all. But I do know for certain that something about the initial sight of them scared me in a really uniquely extreme way. This has never really been my go-to spooky story because of how easy it is to explain away, but I really started thinking about it again when I listened to your podcast. In, I think, the first Listener Stories episode, someone talked about an experience they had in Italy, coming across an extremely pale, red-mouthed woman holding something in her hands and staring at them as they passed by. 
That sent me to looking around on the internet to see if this is any kind of a thing for other people, but I can't seem to find any other stories that match these two. Still, I'd be super interested to hear what you guys think. I'm maybe seeing some ghoul connections? Mmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's super fascinating, but I love this story and I love the way it's told. I also, I don't, yeah, it's, I'm laughing because clearly you're safe and clearly you're okay. And that is such a funny reaction to something like that. I'm so, I don't want to be rude. So I just want to make sure if this person <laughs> isn't a monster, I don't want to be rude. Um, very considerate. Honestly, I love it a lot. No, it's really nice. It's just very funny. And I also have been there, not in that specific situation, but the fear of rudeness trumping all else. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, especially when you're a kid and, like, you've just sort of been socialized that, like, this is, like, when you're a kid, I feel like you don't yet understand that there are rules that apply in varying degrees to varying situations. You just kind of think, these are rules, don't break them. Yeah, exactly. So all rules being equal, if one of your rules, so to say, is, like, don't be rude to strangers, like, then I can see why you would have that reaction. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> So, I'm up next yes. with a story from Dana mm-hmm. at Dan the Flower Man. Uh, this is Ghosts and Omens. Yeah. All right. So, my parents built our house 20 years ago when mom was pregnant with me, and there was a huge well where my driveway now is. It's a spot that often sinks in, and if you stand over it, you can hear people talking such as someone whispering my younger sister's name and asking her to come play or just yelling. Oh my God, that went, sorry, that, I didn't expect that to get so intense so fast. So quickly, yeah. Um, So fast. Just like, oh, my parents built this house. There's a spot in our driveway where a well was, and if you stand there, you can hear voices. Um, um, okay. They built our detached garage first. Oh, we're just back to house stuff now, okay. Yeah, you know, just, just stick with it. This one's a roller coaster. And my parents often sat in it before I was born. One day, they saw the door bouncing and heard a sound like someone bouncing a basketball off of it. My mom stepped out to tell off whoever it was, but there was no one out there and nothing touching the door. It was perfectly still and silent from the outside, but continued bouncing when viewed from inside. A few days later, they were once again in the garage when my mom saw something from the corner of her eye. She mentioned it to my dad. But before she finished speaking, he was up and out the door like a shot, leaving my very pregnant mother with what looked like, as she described it, the lines you see from hot pavement or off a gas can, but in the shape of a six-foot-tall man, mere inches from her. This is an apparition that everyone who's been to my house more than once has seen in some capacity in various places around the property. Another garage ghost chased my father's friend into our attic where he was trapped for nearly three hours. Our attic is about 30 feet off the ground and only accessible from the garage. My father had gone to grab food and the friend was left to work on his car when he heard a deep growl and saw the heatwave ghost chase him up the ladder. A non-threatening ghost we have likes to travel between my family's houses. There are six houses of cousins, grandparents, aunts, and uncles all in a row down my street. Oh, that's wild. Your whole family's just in the same little, like, neighborhood. Um, (laughs) That's pretty rad, honestly. I mean, I guess, if you like your family. (laughs) Yeah. His name is Hank, my great-grandfather, and he was my imaginary friend. Oh, so this is, like, straight up the ghost of one of your relatives. Once my father's clothes disappeared from our laundry room for nearly two weeks. Then one day, my mother went down to our basement where our exercise equipment was, only to find all of his clothes neatly folded and fresh smelling on the weight bench. And she saw (laughs) Hank walk up the stairs from the corner of her eye. 
<laughs> That's fun. Isn't that nice? Yeah, another time I was about three and running around the front yard, which is next to a relatively busy state route. I started running into the road. No. And my mother and grandmother were too close to catch me in time. Suddenly I fell backwards and started yelling at them for pushing me, despite them being nowhere near me. Hank got you out of the road. He also stopped me on multiple occasions from then until I moved out from being hit on that road by yelling my name, pulling my backpack, or in one occasion, pushing me on ice so I slid under the center of my school bus rather than right into the still rolling wheels. Oh my god. That is so cinematic. Hank comes through. But also, hey, I don't want to get on to you too much, but why were you running in the street so much as a child? Yeah, it's it's a lot. Please don't do that. Okay. My sister and I are certain that my old room, now hers, the laundry room, and my parents' closet are all portals for these creatures to come through due to multiple experiences. I once fell asleep on my couch in our living room after an anime binge, fair, and woke up to the feeling of something hitting the back of the couch. I assumed it was the cat scratching it and sat up to scold him, only to be <gasps> no, yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> only to be only to be face to face with something that I can only describe as a naked lump of flesh in the shape of a person. It looked like if a store mannequin had had skin just piled loosely on it, and it was only three feet from me. It didn't give any indication that it saw me, simply walking from my bedroom door into the laundry room, both directly behind the couch. There were more encounters like this, but mostly with shadow people and human spirits. Never the lump of flesh. (laughs) I hate that phrase. My sister and I were often alone in the house and would frequently see doppelgangers of each other and our pets, despite being sat next to each other. One night, my sister's doppelganger, who we called Guri ran back and forth from one end of the house to the other, doing things like banging on the wall and yelling at the dog in my sister's voice, all things that would get her in trouble. My mother didn't believe it wasn't my sister until she saw Guri and my sister in the same room, where we all saw Guri sitting (laughs) on the chandelier in our dining room, laughing and swinging on it. Can I tell you what my favorite thing about listener stories episodes is, now that I've been on this side of them? What? Like, and I didn't get this experience the first few times because, like, you were curating the stories. Because I was the curator, But now I have this experience where, like, I get to to watch you react to these stories in real time, and it's incredible. Yeah, um... I knew you would love this one. (laughs) This is so wild. Haunting of Hill House who? Like, (laughs) just kidding, I haven't watched Haunting of Hill House yet, but... And I'm very excited to watch it, but... Oh my god... (laughs) Another ghost that almost always appeared with Guri was Thomas, a young man who liked to lock me in my room, slam my closet door, trap me in the laundry room, and throw my drying clothes out onto the floor. What an asshole. (laughs) Hank just did that laundry. Yeah. Right. He would also go out into the woods and throw rocks and sticks at us and hide behind trees. He also liked to mess with the fair folk back there, who would often join us when we had bonfires, always dancing just out of sight in the shadows or on the other side of the flames. Yeah, that's another that's another buried lead, though, right? Like, Yeah, hey, also, like, way to just slip that in there like it's nothing. I don't, this is like, if you guys are happy where you are, then I don't want to tell you what to do, but I just really want to know why you still live in that house. Would you try to sell a house um, like that? <laughs> I mean, what no, would you, that's what fair. What would you say? I would burn it to the ground in a cleansing fire. <laughs> All right. Uh, was it the was it the pile of flesh that did it for you, or was it the, the girl swinging on the chandelier? <laughs> There's a Sia song all about that. (laughs) My family also has its own black dog who visits each of us before a relative or friend dies. 
When So like a grim, all right. When my great aunt, who was like a grandmother to me, was approaching her time, about a week before she passed, the dog visited my grandmother's house where we were all staying. He ran just in the corner of our eyes and woke the more spirit-sensitive family members by jumping up on our beds and laying on our chests, only to disappear when we woke up. He has appeared to me multiple times, such as the night my best friend died and the morning my cousin miscarried, both times laying beside me and whining. I thought it was my chocolate lab, only to find him sleeping with my grandparents. More recently, at the start of August this year, he woke me up in the middle of the night by jumping on my bed and laying beside me, licking my hair to wake me up. As I sat up and realized there was nothing in bed with me, my phone rang. A childhood friend of mine had passed away not long before, having been in a horrible car accident. I'm so sorry. Two days later, he came back, this time pushing his nose into my side and actually moving me across the bed. This time I made the call, and my mother answered crying. My cousin, who had never been sick a day in his life, had dropped dead in his mid-thirties with no warning. Our black dog isn't only an omen of death. He and my great-aunt's ghost also let us know when someone is sick and in need of help. During the winter of this past year, in the middle of the horrible flu that claimed so many lives— they started appearing at my grandmother's house. My aunt and I pressured my grandparents to go to the doctors, where it was discovered that they had caught the worst of the flu virus. We ended up having to have ambulances pick them up, and my great-aunt's ghost stuck around the house until my grandparents came back home healthy. That's such an amazing mix of entities. Yeah, seriously. There's like a huge like cast of characters there. And it is and a ton of variety in the way that they present and behave. Yeah. I love the like benign ones a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you've got some uh sort of guardian omen spirits coming out and coming around. You've got the great aunt, you've got the dog, you've got Hank who I love, who's keeping you keeping your <laughs> reckless child self from running into the street all the time. What are you doing? Yeah, and straight up I, like eating you under a school bus. I'm sorry, that's incredible. I'm just why were you running I know. Kids do kids do ridiculous things. I know this. Kids mm-hmm. do reckless stuff because they are children and their frontal lobes haven't developed. But like I Oh my gosh. Just the amount of times that he had to remove you from the road is very distressing to me. Um, it's, it's many times. Also, he did laundry. Or he didn't do the laundry. He took the laundry for two weeks and then put it back nice and folded, folded it. Hey, it takes longer over there, okay? I was going to say, he took it to the ghost dry cleaner and they take a while. Two weeks is a lot less time than it usually takes me to get a load of laundry done, okay? No, you're not wrong. I'm actually, like, I say this and I can, from my little recording corner, see the piles of dirty clothes that I need to attend to this weekend. Um, Like, there's a process. The process is usually sort the laundry. And by sort, I mean grab an armful. And if there's nothing red in a mostly light colored thing, then we're fine. Um, and then put it in the washer and then run it and then mm-hmm. forget about it for like three days and then have to run it again because it's been sitting in the washer. And so I do that and then I can't move it on because I realize that there's been something else in the dryer this whole time. And so it hangs out there for another like two days until I finally get the stuff out of the dryer and then I put it in the dryer again after I wash it one more time. And then it sits on my bed for another week until I fold it. Thank you for that insight into your process. Yeah, well, I want other people to be able to replicate it at home for my successes. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, this anyway, is I'm a- just saying, like, Hank has a pretty good turnaround time, if you ask me. No, I like it. All right, it's your turn. It is. This is from Rachel at a rock in the roll dream on Twitter. Thank you, Rachel. And this is a story about a hellhound. Oh, I'm I very see. excited. You yeah, see what I, I did? Say, you see my art now. You gave now. yourself a dog story, yeah. I did. Um, but I also gave you one. 
So and you gave oh good, and you gave me the lump of flesh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that sorry. Is actually, like in league with the tooth child from the first season of Channel Zero of like the most upsetting things I can imagine, and I'm very angry. <laughs> I needed to hear your reaction to those in real time, though, and I knew that I wouldn't be yeah. able to like bury the lead in advance if I read it out loud. So I'm gonna sometime I'm gonna make you watch Channel Zero Candle Cove with me, so that you have okay. to look at the little like the little boy made entirely of human teeth, and then you have to reckon with the kind okay. of emotions I just side went note, through. Side note: Did you see the story where they recently were just like renovating a dentist's office, and they like bashed open one of the walls, and it was just full of teeth? Oh, God, no. But the best part of this headline was that this wasn't the first time it had happened. (laughs) That's so horrible. (laughs) They said, like, for the third time, we busted open a wall in a dentist's office and teeth poured out. (laughs) It was wild. That makes me want to, like, take a 30-year shower. I hate it so much. (laughs) Yeah, what can you do? Okay, so hellhounds. (laughs) This is again from Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Thanks, Rach. This memory sat in the back of my mind for over a decade. Even after listening to the Hellhound episode, it remained unarticulated. However, recently, it suddenly occurred to me again. I love these. When I was 11, my parents gathered me and my siblings in their room to tell us that a relative of ours had unexpectedly died. We talked it out and came to terms with it as best we could at the moment, then got up to go about our business. Whatever business three elementary school kids might have had. Important side note. Our parents' room is on the second level of the house, and the stairs leading up to it directly face the front doors. The inner one is solid, the outer one is a storm door, just a pane of glass inside a frame. As we came down the stairs, one of my siblings noticed a large black dog standing at the end of the walkway in the front yard. The way I remember it, it kind of looked like a Doberman. Very lean and sturdy, with pointed ears and short fur, but completely black. We pointed it out to our parents, and my mom opened the inner door and shouted at the dog through the glass to go away. The dog immediately charged at the house. We all screamed, and my mom slammed the door shut. When we looked again a moment later, it was gone. I'm willing to admit that what happened that day could have been a normal occurrence, that it was just a regular dog that got away from its owner, and I'm freaking myself out about it all this time later. But I've always wondered about the encounter, and given the circumstances, my relative's sudden passing... I'm also not quite ready to rule out that what we saw may not have been a coincidence. Maybe it was a sign, however mistimed, of what was happening in our lives. Besides, it feels satisfying to put a name to that weird happening. But then, I guess that's the nature of cryptids, isn't it? Oh man, snuck in that really thoughtful thing at the end. Yeah, right? And like, what a good ending line. Ugh, I love these. But then that's the nature of cryptids, isn't it? I love... We have... I don't want to like cast any aspersions on listeners of other things, but I think we might have the best listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. I just want to say, like, shout out to everybody who sent in stories. These were all so, like, if you'll permit me a moment to just workshop these, I just want to say that, like, the voice was very strong in all of them. Oh, it's so strong. So happy. Speaking of voice, I this up uh, this next one. I just read the first sentence of it. Got so hyped. Oh, it's so um, good, right? Yeah. No, I wanted you to have this one too. Um. So this next one is an well, I'll let you say, but I will say yeah. there are some. There's like a picture that goes with this one, and um some oh some text logs that uh, I couldn't find a good way to put like into the narrative. So the story okay. itself will just have to stand on its own for now. But um, Addison, they're in our inbox, and you should check them out. They're fun. I will. I will check them out. Excuse me. I'm gonna clear my throat. Okay. 
So this is from Maddie. Just says, hell puppy in all caps. <laughs> all right. What up? It's your non-binary gal back at it again. I was the one who sent in the first story featured in the first listener episode. At the time, you guys didn't know how to address me, which so you can call me Maddie since we're friends now. <laughs> which I love, right? Thanks, I Maddie. Love- Maddie, you're just killing it. All right. So this good shy boy comes from my girlfriend from England. She and her dad and possibly her brother. He's not mentioned, but I spent two weeks with them, so I assume so. Saw the most shy good boy I had ever heard of. (laughs) For whatever reason, they drove out in the middle of the night and saw a hellhound. But for further reference for how sweet he is, he'll be hell doggy. (laughs) The family drove out to a church and saw a hell doggy. Upon further asking, the hell doggy was guarding Viking treasure. The dog was six hills away with glowing yellow eyes. At one point, they got out of the car and the dog starts shyly approaching her dad. And he always has a camera on him, snapped a photo of this good boy. The dog stops and runs to the direction of the graves back to finish his guardian duties, even though this good boy wanted to make new friends. And that's the whole story. A good boy! A good boy! (gasps) That's so cute! He's a good boy! That's so cute! I love him. (laughs) <laughs> I love him. How do they, how, okay, sir, hey, um, Maddie, how do you know? How, you didn't explain how you know he was guarding Viking treasure. <laughs> yeah, that part's not really explained. It's just kind of... Was there eh? Viking treasure in the area that they knew about, so assumed he must be guarding? I'm just very curious about how we know he was guarding Viking treasure. <laughs> okay. Maybe he said. Maybe he told them. Hey, guys, I'd love, to, I'd love to stay longer. I'd love to get more scratches on my snoot, but I gotta go back to guarding this Viking treasure. <laughs> love to have a belly rub, but I sadly cannot right now. I have to finish my Duty guardian calls. duties. <laughs> Duty calls. Oh, man. Duty Aww, calls. I love him. All right, okay. let's try to... Let's try to power through some of these so we can get to as many as possible. So this next one is from Emma, and it's a really cool story about a banshee. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Hi, Alex and Addison. I am new to the show, but have already listened to nearly every single episode. I am obsessed. I have a small story to share with you guys for your next Listener Stories episode, if you would like. Listener, we do. <laughs> Thanks, Emma. So this happened to my mom, not to me. We are Irish, and this story is about the Banshee. Mm. So when my mom was a teenager, she heard a wailing on her road. She opened the window, looked out, and saw an old woman with long gray hair, dressed all in black, under a streetlight wailing. The next thing she knew, the woman was gone. So the next day, she got up, and all the wall hangings, pictures, paintings, mirrors, were hanging lopsided. Soon after that, her aunt passed away. The story has always stuck with me in an odd way. Now my mom is very ill, and I always fear I'll hear or see the banshee and something will have happened to her. It isn't a major story, but I thought it was worth sharing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's, That's amazing. Like, not only is this a great story in that, like, it's a great story that you shared with us that actually happened to you, Emma, but this is also just, like, an extremely solid basis for, like, a flash fiction piece. Yes, it is. I was just, I as you were reading that... Like, seriously, the way you ended that, like, got me. I was thinking, I was like, this would be an amazing story, like, amazing short story. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so very cool. I don't think we've gotten a Banshee listener story before, so I was pretty hype about that one. I don't think we have, and, and, I, and it's so exciting to hear that. Yeah. I have one that also comes from ireland actually yeah this one's cool you'll like this one a lot all right i have one from this is from emmett on the subject of witchcraft 
Hi, Keepers. My sister's boyfriend imparted to me this mysterious tale, one of the many I've heard about his home area of Leitrim. Thank you so much for the pronunciation guide, by the way. <laughs> one of the many, or one of the weirdest places in Ireland. And that's saying something. I can say that because I have Irish mm-hmm. heritage. Science-defying healing powers, strange death rituals, fairies, and disappearing corpses are par for the course down there. Just another day in Leitrim. He got this story from his grandmother, who claims she witnessed this firsthand as a little girl. By the way, that's my favorite kind of story, being like, my grandmother insists to this day that this happened. That's my favorite. Okay. Down in a small town in Leitrim, the place was thrown into chaos. Confusion, frustration, and fear gripped the local farmers as day after day their cow's milk was turning out sour. No one could figure out what was causing it. Until one day, a mysterious priest appeared and told everyone he could track down the source of this malefica. Staring into a bowl of water, after saying a few prayers over it, the stranger told them all to get up early in the morning and meet him around the back of the house he was staying at. The following morning, a group of farmers and their families gathered in the garden to meet the stranger, including the little girl who would grow up to tell this tale. They followed the stranger to one of the farms, and in one of the fields they happened upon a most troubling sight. There was a hare hopping around the field, going around to each of the cows and drinking milk right out of their udders. The priest immediately began to bellow out Catholic admonitions toward this strange creature and it fled. The townspeople gave chase, this hare running strangely slowly as if becoming exhausted by the priest's bellowings. They followed the hare right to the house of a local widow named Biddy Riley. The rabbit squeezed through a crack in the door and went inside. When the townspeople flung open the door, they found Biddy Riley herself, breathing heavily, red-faced and sweating in a chair in the hallway, as if she had just run a marathon. They never had a problem with the milk turning out sour ever again. Wild. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Wild. I was just about to say, oh, that's just Jeff the mongoose, but no. um. (laughs) Jeff. Jeff. Um, that's wild. Biddy Riley, you know, you can just get milk at the store. Yeah, Biddy Riley, what the heck? It seems like you have pretty solid neighbors. I bet they would have just given you some if you'd asked. You can, yeah, you can just get milk. Also, actually, like, you can just, if you want to steal milk from the cows, you can just milk a cow. No, no, the forbidden milk tastes the sweetest. (laughs) Never say that again. All right. (laughs) Okay. Never yeah. say that in my presence ever again. <laughs> yeah, no, I hated it the second it came out of my mouth, so. Actually, don't say it out of my presence either. I think I'd feel it, like so <laughs> many disturbances would, in know. the force. You would know. Okay. Okay. I've been sipping on an iced revenant mocha, by the way. Did oh, you know you can good. mix hot chocolate powder with cold brew and no one can stop you? Okay. <laughs> no one can. No, I also have my uh, my mug on hand right here because, of course, I do. They're such good mugs. This isn't even a plug because, uh, you know, ordering ends today, so. Yeah, true. I uh, it's a mug plug, but I actually have um mine in a cup. But still, uh, well, fair enough. Sorry, my <laughs> mug is dirty right now. I need to wash it. You're forgiven. Anyway, <clears throat> okay. So this next story comes from Jordan, and it's about vampires. Nice. <clears throat> yeah, it's a really cool story too. So let's do it to it. I'm so stoked. Okay. I've been debating with myself about if I should send you this story, since vampires are only debatably cryptids. However, I just finished listening to your Real Vampires episode, so I'll take that as confirmation that this story is relevant to your interests. Nice. It super is. Thank you, Jordan. You are not wrong. Yeah. A bit of context for this story. Blood drinking has had a religious connotation for a long time. 
As Addison mentioned in your episode on real vampires, many Christian groups celebrate their faith by drinking the body and blood of Christ in the form of bread and wine. Mm-hmm. While some Christian traditions look at this celebration as symbolic, Catholicism is not one of them. In the Catholic tradition, we believe that in the rite of the Mass, the bread and wine are literally transformed into the body and blood of Christ. Transubstantiation. Yes, we call this transformation the miracle of transubstantiation. Exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. This fact is important to the story, I promise. And it mm. super is, and it's super cool. During my undergrad, I spent a semester abroad working with a team translating ancient graffiti in Rome, which, like, um, that's badass. That's amazing. <laughs> Since my university was a Catholic university, we stayed at a monastery in Vatican City to reduce travel costs. This monastery was dedicated to taking care of retired priests, and it is from one of these priests that I heard the story I am about to tell you. Good frame narrative. Mm-hmm. This priest claimed to work as an exorcist for the Archdiocese of Warsaw during the 50s and 60s. He told me about a time when he was asked to treat a young man who lived in a rural community some distance from the city. When he arrived, he found an emaciated skeleton of a man who explained that a few weeks ago he had been bitten by a vampire and that he was now turning into one himself. This man had no desire to become a vampire, so he turned to the church for an exorcism. The man explained that in addition to intense cravings for blood, he could not eat anything else, and the priest found this to be true. The man violently vomited anything that he was made to eat or drink. The priest then decided to test the man to see if this was a case of genuine possession. Obviously, performing a ritual on somebody genuinely mentally ill is not great, so exorcists take great care to make sure that their services are actually needed. Right. A typical way that exorcists attempt to determine genuine possession is to give the person claiming possession bread and wine that has not undergone the miracle of transubstantiation while falsely claiming to have blessed it. The logic is that if a person reacts violently to that bread and wine, they are mentally ill and need the expertise of a psychologist. If they do not violently react to the regular bread and wine, but do react to a real consecrated host without being told of the difference, they may have a genuine case of possession. Makes sense, right? Yeah. What the priest found, though, was very unusual. The man reacted violently to the unconsecrated bread and wine, and also reacted violently to the consecrated bread. But the man was able to drink the consecrated wine without issue and drank the entire chalice, thankful that he could drink something for the first time in weeks. The priest came to this final conclusion. The man was indeed a vampire, and that the wine which had been transubstantiated into the blood of Christ was sufficient nourishment for him, since it was, in essence, human blood. According to this priest, the man lived off of nothing but consecrated communion wine for 12 years, before unfortunately passing away due to an unrelated illness. The priest claimed that he desired to make this story more widely known at the time, but that the political conditions in Poland and the oppression of the church by the government at the time made publication of the story impossible. Now, I don't know if this story is true or not, but I personally fully trust the man who told it to me. Thanks for taking the time to read this, and I hope you have a very happy Halloween. Thank you. That's wild. Isn't that just Um, like, that's so cool. That is unlike anything I've ever heard before. Yeah, it's so fascinating. No, it's absolutely fascinating. That is completely unlike anything I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank you. That was amazing. Yeah, isn't it? I, I'm just, like, still mind-blown by that. Holy cow. All right. Yeah, so thank you so much for sending that one in. It was, like... I mean, not to, not to play favorites or anything, because I've loved all of these, like, a ton, but that's genuinely one of my favorite 
like supernatural stories I've ever read. Just like, I don't know, something about the construction of it is really fascinating to me. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you. Okay, so I have, oh, okay. Stephen from Roanoke? (laughs) Yeah. So go ahead and start that one. I'm swapping these last two, actually, because it'll be more satisfying for you if we if I switch them around. But go ahead and read the one that you're reading. Oh, thank you. Okay, Stephen from Roanoke. This is Bunnyman slash Tulpa? That's, there's a question mark. I wanted to make sure it's clear. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Considering all of the weird and mostly ghost-related paranormal events in my life, the experience I'm about to recount is easily the most vexing of all. I believe in the paranormal, but definitely try to take a skeptic approach if I can, so I'm open to other interpretations of this experience. This story begins when I was 10 years old on Saturday night before Easter Sunday. I had headed to bed at 10 p.m., played a little Game Boy, and gone to sleep. My parents kept telling me to be excited because this Easter had some surprises, so it took a little while before I could get my mind at ease. I slept in one of the largest rooms in my grandfather's house. I was the only one in the room, which featured a sweeping window that covered almost an entire wall from side to side and some large tan curtains. Around 2.30 a.m., I woke up feeling immediately confused and weirdly alert. It was only seconds before I saw a shadow cast against the window that gave me a frigid sensation of being watched. Standing over six feet tall amongst some smaller bushes was the shadow of what could only be described as the Easter Bunny. It was a tall, anthropomorphic shape with a perfect bunny's head. I remember seeing it barely shift side to side only a foot or two from the window at best. I felt delusional seeing this thing, but moved out of bed hoping it was a prank. The closer I got to the shadow cast on the curtains, the more dread paralyzed me until I could not bring myself to throw back the curtains to see the figure. To this day, I am angry that I didn't look through the curtain to reveal the true form of the thing, but I was young and irrationally terrified. It had this distinct sense of otherworldliness to it, which is so hard to describe. It felt like it was beckoning me to it, but I refused to open the curtain to look at the thing casting the shadow. I remember staring at it in horror for some time before getting under the covers and playing Pokemon, praying it would leave. Honestly, same. That's like a huge mood. Oh, it's a really big mood. After checking on it several times over 30 minutes, I looked back once more from the covers to discover the shadow was gone. Eventually, I got back to sleep, praying somehow that this was a joke played by a member of my family. In the morning, my family seemed concerned by my serious visage and promised a surprise. I was thinking this was to be the reveal of this large rabbit costume, but it was 2003 and the new Game Boy SP had released, so this was given to me as an Easter gift. That's sweet. That is sweet. I remember being happy at first, but then quickly questioning what the rabbit outside my window was. My family looked sort of quizzically at me, and I asked, Yeah, who was in the big (laughs) rabbit costume at 2.30 in the morning? I know it was one of you. This devolved to the point of a small argument until I realized my family wasn't in on this joke. They wrote off my claims as trying to pull their leg, but I know what I saw. Thinking about it now, why would a member of my family expect me to be awake at 2.30am to see them in the costume anyway? (laughs) My parents had once faked a Santa encounter by spreading reindeer feed all around the house and the roof, but this was different. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. They certainly had nothing to do with this, as their demeanor about it was nothing but pure confusion. This experience was very memorable, as I remember vividly being awake and seeing the shape lingering at the window, as if waiting for me to open the curtain. I will never forget the immense pressure and sheer size of the thing outside the window. I only wish I could have gathered the courage to look behind that curtain. Uh, hey Steven, I'm glad you didn't. 
I was just about to say, I'm really glad you didn't. Super glad you didn't, buddy. Feel free to use this as a sighting of whatever cryptid you think fits the bill. I'm stumped. I promise I'm not Donnie Darko or anything. I don't want to think that the Easter Bunny actually exists, so I'm leaning towards Tulpa or some sort of shapeshifter. That's so wild. Yeah, um, seriously. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, first of all, very glad you didn't look behind the curtain because I don't want to like be intense or dramatic, but you might not still be here. Yeah, you said the words irrationally terrified, and I'm thinking like, no, friendo, that was pretty rational. Pretty rational of you. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Um, if like even the the least supernatural scenario is that there was a strange human being at your house in a rabbit costume at 2.30 in the morning outside your window, and that's terrifying. So, like, like the, the least scary scenario here to me is still so terrifying that I'm very glad you didn't. Like, yeah, seriously. That's, like, the, the least supernatural possibility, and then you go from there and it only gets worse. Mm-hmm. So... Also, I was so worried when this story started that we were headed in the direction of uh, the movie that I talked about on here before, Holidays. Oh my god, yeah. The anthology horror with the rabbit that has no, the, the skin rabbit, the Jesus skin rabbit. The right. Jesus skin rabbit is terrible. I hate that so much. It's like a very disturbing sequence. Like, I... The movie has a couple really good segments that I really enjoyed. That is the one that genuinely, like... I it, it was the most effective. I don't want to say I liked it because I didn't. Right, yeah. But I want to praise the filmmakers for doing what I'm assuming they wanted to do, which was make me viciously uncomfortable. I can't think of any other reason why they, they would do that visual sin. So, yes. Oh, yeah. It was horrible. Because, like... It's actually, like, the anthology is, is definitely worth a watch. I, I don't like all the segments, but a couple of them are really good. There's, like, one, the Father's Day segment features, like, a woman finding a series of tapes recorded by her father who went missing when she was a child, leading her to this empty warehouse where he supposedly was last seen, um, like, uh, to, like, and there's, like, this sort of parallel dimension thing. This idea that he was, like, lost in a pocket between dimensions and stuff, and that's a really great one. There's, like, but the, the Easter one I think about all the time because it's so upsetting. <laughs> Um, I hate it. Uh, oh, man. Okay, okay, so we have two more to get through. Um, Beautiful. All right. And I am hyped for them. So this next one that I have, all right. Um, I really enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it, too. This, I'm excited. This comes to us from Annie, and I'm going to try very hard not to make any Annie, are you okay jokes? Although if I get to the end and say it accidentally, like, please forgive me. Well, um, I was gonna. I'm always gonna ask if people are okay anyway. Right? So yeah. It's be I just hard. wanted to preempt it by saying, like, it's not that if I say that. So yeah, you're not I'm trying sorry. to do. A I'm, not, bit. I'm not trying to be funny. Um, genuinely concerned for your well-being. And this is a story about the Kushtaka, which I'd never heard of before, but it's pretty fascinating. My name is Annie. I'm a high school student in a small town in Alaska. My story is about both parts mythical creature and cryptid. It's called the Kushtaka, and it is a staple at campfires. Mm. They are often talked about when our middle school has the survival trip. Okay, now, I just have to say, like, <laughs> you're going to learn some things about this survival trip, and if you're anything like me, you're going to be sitting here going, like, you were how old? Wait, I'm so sorry. This is You the, were 12? This is the first time I've ever heard another school call it this. My middle school did a survival trip. Yours <laughs> was nothing like this, trust me. No, I know. I, I'm sure it wasn't, but I'm just losing my mind because we called it that, too. Yeah, anyway. well, this one is, like, genuinely... Anyway, we'll, we'll get to it. When I was 12. Okay. In an earlier episode, you guys talked about a school camping trip. We do a similar thing in 7th grade and a survival trip in 8th. 
Every year since the 1970s, children will do a unit on surviving in school and then venture the Alaskan wilderness. They go, oh boy. They go on a three-night trip to an uninhabited island with whatever gear and food they can fit in a one-pound coffee can. <gasps> what? A tarp and some rope. Um... Alaska is so scary. Okay. <laughs> it is both heaven and some kiddos' personal hell. Every night, there is a huge bonfire and scary stories. Like, okay, but what are you cooking, like, on the bonfire? <laughs> Nothing. You each brought, like, a third of a pound of food. Anyway. Also, what story is scarier than what you're currently doing? Well, you're about to find out. The Kushtaka is like our local native skinwalker, but a shape-shifting river otter. Ooh. One good rule for life is do not, and Annie, I'm going to censor you here because this is a family-friendly podcast, do not mm, mess with otters. <laughs> my mother worked on at my grandfather's fishing resort for a few summers when she was young and watched a half dozen otters try to get a dog to join them in the ocean. After a short time playing in the water, the otters drowned the dog. Otters are only cute from afar or through plexiglass, not so much when you're on the receiving end of those bone-crushing teeth. Oof. Normally, the story starts on the beach. It's dark out, which is not that hard to get in the late afternoon. Currently, the sun sets as early as three in the winter. They look out at the sea, and there's a person in the ocean. How odd. They don't recognize who it is at first. Then they realize it's the person who they hold dearest in their heart, neck deep in the freezing surf. Whoever it may be, a sister, a mother, a friend, or a brother, is beckoning for the person to join them in the icy waves. At first, they don't come because who would? After a few minutes of fragile silence, the person in the water doesn't stop silently asking or get out, just stays there welcoming them in. They think maybe the loved one needs help, and they aren't that far from shore. Hypothermia is very easy to catch, and the ocean floor can go from 5 feet to 500 feet fast, so it seems like only an arm's length away. Still, no sound, so they start to hesitantly enter the water, but wouldn't you too? They don't realize until it's too late. But isn't that always the case? You don't know a person's a witch until you're in their oven sweating. It wasn't the friend they thought it was. It was an otter the size of a man waiting for a snack. You can always tell a kashtaka from a half-frozen family member if they don't say a word. Another of the creature's tricks is to scream like a woman or cry like a child and wait for a good Samaritan. They can mimic sound but can't mimic speech. Beware if before you get to a beach, just out of eyesight in the trees, you hear a whistle. Not any normal whistle, but a low, high, low one. It's how they talk to each other. I am a high school student and embarked on my trip a few years ago. The tent I shared with my friend was on the outskirts of the camp. Not a wise choice. When we had to go to the bathroom, we had to walk to the side closest to the beach. Not fun in the rain and the dark. I'm not easily scared, but I do see a lot of things out of the corners of my eyes. Nothing makes me jump like being home and seeing a man, but then turning my head and it just being my father's hanging coat. On the second night, I had to take a leak. Unwisely, I went alone. After a cold walk to the potty spot, it was kind of a gross night. The wind was in the trees and they whistled. They sounded like what the campfire story said. Low to high to low. I didn't really think about that. Sometimes they just sing. But my carefree attitude only lasted until I was within eyeshot of the beach. I don't know if it was just my mind, but there was something in the water. Something human-shaped in the water. It was too thin to be a sea lion and too large to be a seal. I didn't stick around too long to see what it was. I booked it into the woods, made it halfway to my tent, fell on my butt, and power-walked the rest of the way back. 
I don't know what I saw that day, and I'm not sure I want to. I haven't been back to that island since. Maybe it was just a seal. Hopefully, it was just a seal. Much love, Annie. I hope it was a... I hope it was a seal. Hope it was a seal! I don't... I don't like that. (laughs) That is so scary. Yeah, so atmospheric though, right? Oh, amazing. Like, absolutely amazing. But terrifying. If you, like, aren't a Patreon donor and you've been wondering what Horror Borealis is, it's just this. It's just that. I mean, I... If we're in Alaska, we should definitely incorporate this this creature at some point. Yeah, I'd never heard of this thing before, and I now I definitely want to. Yeah, right? It's going to be amazing. Anyway, we're going to end on a much better note. Are you ready? Um, yes. I got you a present. Oh, I see. You got me a present. Thank you. Oh, Alex, for my favorite holiday. Okay. I didn't. Bailey Hansen got you a present. Thank you, Bailey. Bailey! Bigfoot. <laughs> my name is Bailey Hansen, and I have a Bigfoot sighting to tell you. Yes! Okay. First, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you. And feel no obligation, but I would be absolutely delighted if you use this story on a future listener sighting episode. You got it, Bailey. (laughs) Now on to the story. (laughs) This story takes place about 11 years ago when I was about 8, so I apologize if details are a little bit fuzzy. So when I was about 8 years old, my parents took me on a trip to Mahoney State Park with a group of families from our church. Okay, I'm going to sound very ignorant. N-E is what state? It's Nebraska, right? I thought so. My state abbreviations get messed up sometimes, and my brain read that and was like, Northeast, and I'm like, that's not... Oh, yeah, no, I got that. Yeah, it's Nebraska. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I Sometimes my state abbreviations get confused. We live in Nebraska, so there's not a whole lot of big forests, which is prime Bigfoot real estate. But Mahoney is one of the places where there is a large enough forest, not that I was considering any of that at the time. So, we show up to a cabin that we've rented out as a big group for the weekend. It's in a clearing, with a few other similar cabins about 80 feet away from ours. The cabin is bordered by a lake, and in between the lake and the cabin is a stretch of trees, thick enough that us kids were forbidden to go into it. So, I spent my time playing with the other kids and getting yelled at whenever I tried to sneak (laughs) away into the trees. Mood. The first evening passes uneventfully, the adults doing whatever a bunch of middle-aged people who barely know each other do. And the us kids running around with sticks. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds about right. Mm-hmm. That night, there's a storm. Not anything particularly huge, but the thunder is loud enough to wake me up. The next morning, when everybody's back outside, there's a bunch of sticks strewn about the tree line, knocked free by the wind. So us children are going nuts over these great <laughs> new sticks to play swords with. And we're playing by the edge of the tree line. I'm hunting for a bigger stick right on the edge of the trees when I hear a cracking and crashing noise inside the trees. It honestly sounds like a tree had fallen. And if the, and the, the adults weren't watching me, so I took my chance and ran into the woods. I think my thought process was, I can find a lot of cool sticks to bring back to everybody. <laughs> I, I love this so much. I love this stick-motivated huh? child. I wasn't prepared for what I saw. A little ways into the trees, it instantly became hard to move around in, less like a small patch of trees and more like proper woods. So I was looking around for good sticks, and I finally see the source of the crashing that drew me in initially. A tree had indeed fallen, taking a smaller one down with it. Standing on top of that fallen tree was a large, dark shape standing upright, like a human. Now, I'm used to seeing people who are taller than me. I stopped growing at five foot three with a father who is six foot something. I'm decent at estimating how tall someone is. This thing was taller than my father. I would estimate it at about seven foot four, maybe seven foot six. Huge, with dark hair, muscular. I could see eyes peering out at me. 
We stared at each other for a moment before it made a grunting sound. I ran out of the woods as fast as my little legs could carry me and didn't look back. None of my friends believed me and thought I was playing some make-believe game. I didn't tell any adults because I didn't want to get in trouble for being where I shouldn't have been. It's taken me years to come to terms with what I saw that day. Firstly, that I'd even seen anything to begin with, and secondly, that I saw a creature that many people believe to be fake. Many of my current friends don't believe me, but others do. I'm glad that I get to share this with you guys. I apologize for the length, it's just a long story to tell. Thank you for reading and giving me a place to share my experience. I now know how lucky I am to see such a beautiful creature up close. Oh, that's such a sweet way to end It's so nice. And I'm so glad, like, it was a good encounter. Like, it didn't seem like they were aggressive or, like, felt threatened. They just kind of checked you out and were like, all right. Um, They're like, huh, wow. Huh. Sure is a small guy. There's a kid. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that Bigfoot went home and told a story about how, uh about how they saw the smallest person they've ever seen. So d- that day. I was looking for cool sticks in this field where I wasn't supposed to be, just outside of the woods. and <laughs> I saw the smallest creature. It had no hair. the smallest creature I've ever except seen. Except on the top of its head. Oh, man. So good. Oh, that's really good. I love that very much. Thank you. <sighs> yeah, so a really cool mix of stories today. Oh, really cool mix of stories. I hope that you guys enjoyed listening to them as much as we enjoyed retelling them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously, thank you so much for sharing. These are some of my favorite things to do. I love these. It's, like, really nice. We spend so many weeks in a row, like, desperately searching for first-hand accounts. And then people are kind enough just to send them right into our inbox. Know, seriously, thank you. Um, it's so nice, and it's it makes me feel just, like, very close to all these people. Yeah. Because I get to just get this little snippet of something from their lives, and or from their family or from like their friend of a cousin or a roommate or what have you honestly i love it like i and i know i say this a lot but like this thing that we're doing has become so much bigger than either of us ever like expected when we started doing (laughs) it truly but i'm still really really genuinely deeply delighted that it's still like a small enough thing that we can do stuff like this you know where we can like ask for oh yeah listener stories and we end up being able to make the space to get to almost all of them. And again, I'm so sorry. There were like three or four that I wasn't able to squeeze in. And I wish that I had been, um, but we'll get to them whenever we next can. But I, I just, I don't know. I'm really, really glad that we're still at a point where we have the capacity to interact as directly as we do. And I know there are still people who fall through the cracks. Like, this isn't a full-time job for either of us. And, you know, it, it's hard to stay on top of everything sometimes. God, though we try. But mm-hmm. but I'm really, really just genuinely delighted that there is this, like, this closeness to it. And that we do still get the chance to directly have our hand in so much of what's going on. Exactly. It's amazing. And, yeah, thank you very much. It's just, yeah, it's... Human beings have always throughout time connected by sharing stories, and so it's cool to be a part of that. (laughs) It's like continuing the grand tradition of oral storytelling. Yeah, totally. Which is, you know, why we're here, doing what we're doing. Being around the metaphorical campfire that is the internet, the biggest campfire, (laughs) as some call it. No one's ever called it that. Um, Except me, today. I'm only going to call it that from now on. The biggest campfire, the internet. Mm -hmm. But... So, yeah, I want to say thank you, really, truly. Like, I'm going to do the little moment that I remember from being a kid and watching Arthur and the PBS thing would be like, this is brought to you by viewers like you. But in all seriousness, thank you. This is made possible by (laughs) listeners like you. I want to also thank our team members. I want to thank Andrew Giada, the writer of our theme music, and also just general rad dude. (laughs) Yeah, right on, man. 
And I want to thank Val Patron, our audio wizard. Val's killing it. <laughs> and also rad dude. Um, yeah, seriously. Same. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you to all of you. Thank you to you, Alex. Thank you Aww, to thanks, Addison. the Halloween powers that be. Thank you again to the Alexandria Archives, our sponsors this week. Yes. Thank you so much to the Alexandria Archives. And thank you to the Great Pumpkin, who <laughs> brings the Halloween spirit to us every year. And to Santa Claus. Boom. We're in it. Alex. We're in it. We're on that Christmas creep. Oh, my God. You thought I wouldn't. I waited. I waited. I behaved myself so well for so much of this episode. But here we are. Oh my it's God. my time now. So with that, I would like to bring this episode to a close <laughs> and say, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs>